Set the dials to hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> Set phasers to fun. Welcome to Pop Culture Confessions, a podcast where we fix our greatest movie mistakes. I'm Amanda. I'm joined by Missy. What's up? That's 90s, right? <laughs> Very 90s. <laughs> yep, yep. And also Ryan. Hello. No theme for yours? Well, I was going to try and do a quote from the movie, but I didn't want to jump ahead. So. Okay. This movie is wildly quotable. Like, off the charts quotable. I can think of at least three that are big, like, catchphrases. So, here on Pop Culture Confessions, we are just three folks. Just three regular Joes and Janes. <laughs> We're not any better than you. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> we haven't seen a whole bunch of things. So yeah, we're we're ignorant. We're blissfully ignorant about a lot of movies. We all have, I think, fairly good taste, but there's always gaps in your uh, history, your watching, your knowledge, absolutely, and your pop cultural knowledge. And sometimes those gaps can manifest themselves in really uncomfortable, awkward social situations where someone asks you, or not even asks you, but most of the time it's just like, a, oh yeah, it's like that time in that movie, or they quote it or something, and you have to kind of either grit your teeth and nod and pretend or you have to say i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so (laughs) sorry i've never seen that movie so a lot of people get very offended and take it very personally when you haven't seen a movie that they really like and here we try not to get on the person or attack them for having not seen a movie we kind of take it as an opportunity to share something with them and get a fresh set of eyes on this thing and rewatch it with maybe new perspective. Mm-hmm. It's called the No Shame Zone. It's the place, the mindset, the state of mind, the philosophy, and the credo of us. It's kind of our mission of the statement. Yes, it is our raison d'etre and other cliches. Yeah, it's not a memo, it's a mission statement. <laughs> it's not a moment, it's a movement. For all you Hamill stands out there. So what we do is we identify these gaps in our knowledge and we go watch the movie and then we come back and we talk about it. And uh, sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not good. So we'll see which one this one turns out to be. And sometimes they're better than we thought, and sometimes yeah. they're worse than we sometimes thought. Sometimes they surprise <laughs> you in a good way, and sometimes in a not-so-good way. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, we talked about Missy's pop culture confession, Slumdog Millionaire, and I made a confession of my own. I have to confess that I have never seen Jerry Maguire. Oh. I haven't either. See, I really like Tom Cruise as an actor. I hate Tom Cruise with a passion. (laughs) We went into this when we did Mission Impossible where we were like, let's just dunk on Tom Cruise for an hour. Great actor. (laughs) Horrible person. Yes. Yes. Correct. I'm kind of excited because I haven't seen this either. It's it's on my list. Like it's something that I wanted to see. I think this movie fooled people into thinking that Cuba Gooding Jr. is a good actor. (laughs) So... Yeah, remember when he was nominated for an Oscar and then went on to do, like, Snow Dogs? Snow Dogs. Whoa, whoa. Cuba Gooding Jr. is a decent actor. I've probably seen him in some bit parts here and there, but, like, a starring vehicle like this. I know a few things about this movie, but not a lot. You had said you mentioned a line, which is probably one of the most famous lines in uh, movie history. There's two. There is You Had Me at Hello and Show Me the Money are both from this, right? Yes. 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 Okay. Oh, so this has, what's her face in it? Renee Zellweger. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I love her. I like her too. She's doing her best squint in the poster, that I'm, <laughs> or in the, the photograph that I'm looking at. She's always looking at the sun. Mm-hmm. That's just her face. Back off. She got oh, that. I face. like it. It's part of her personality. She's adorable. I know. But what do you actually know about Jerry Maguire? Other, like, do you know the context for any of those lines or quotes or... I think I remember someone saying one time that it's misrepresented in a lot of the trailers, that it's either more of a rom-com than it pretends to be or less of a rom-com than it pretends to be. Okay. I don't know which. I agree with that statement. (laughs) Which part? (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) See, I thought it was about like a money dude, like a dude really into money. So maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and it has something to do with sports, I think. But I don't think it's a sports movie or is it? Because he was like, show me the money. Like he's a salesman or he's into some kind of, I know this is your confession, but like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, too. Okay. I remember seeing this movie and thinking it was 100% okay. (laughs) Didn't it get a lot of... 
award nominations too? I don't know. It was very, very popular. I just, I don't know. I, I was thoroughly unimpressed with the movie when I saw it, but maybe on watching it, I will like it more. I don't know. Or I'll like it less. Maybe that 90s angst was getting to you. True, true. There was very little flannel in this. Almost no Nirvana. Yeah, this does not seem like that kind of 90s movie. (laughs) For me, peak 90s is late 90s because that's when I started to become aware of culture. Like early 90s, I was still too young to... I was into the 90s before you probably heard of it. (laughs) Jesus. You're a time hipster. (laughs) (laughs) I was a hipster before that was really a thing. I was a hipster before it was cool. So meta. Totally a hipster (laughs) before it became mainstream. (laughs) I liked 1996 back in 1995. (laughs) (laughs) So the poster that I have in my head of this is correct when I just Googled Jerry Maguire poster and it's all it says is Tom Cruise is in it. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Have we seen a poster for a Tom Cruise movie that isn't like, yep, Tom Cruise is certainly in this (laughs) movie. Right, like this has so much Tom Cruise, you won't even believe it. And he looks vaguely angelic almost in this like it's a sort of a well like it's very white and he's like kind of glowy and so it almost is like afterlife-ish i don't think there's that element in this movie but i could be wrong well but the quote on the poster says everybody loved him everybody disappeared jerry Maguire. the journey is everything oh so maybe he's dead maybe he's a serial killer i don't know <laughs> he's not being shown as like a sinister shadow or the shot from below right he's not vaguely threatening that shot that stanley kubrick uses to show that someone's evil that he used in uh, full metal jacket and the shining where you show someone going crazy that's from not below? the shot yeah when uh d'onofrio looks up in full metal jacket and he looks crazy and jack nicholson does the same thing there's a very specific angle Mm-hmm. I will take your word. <laughs> this poster does not give me very much extra information other than that very cryptic tagline, the journey is everything. Maybe he grows as a person. Maybe he's in purgatory and he's remembering his life. Kind of oh, like the movie lost. we just watched. Okay. And it's, it's like flashbacks. And <laughs> Renee Zellweger, is, she's judging him about whether he's worthy to get into heaven and he's having to like tell her. But then at the end, it turns out that she was going to let him in the whole time. And she was like, you had me at hello. Wow. That would be a hell of a movie. (laughs) You've been greenlit. Yeah. Let's make that movie. I'm going to go work on the script. <laughs> it sounds like other than the two famous lines from this movie, yeah, basically know nothing. And sports. It. Well, I don't know sports for sure, but I think sports. You think the sports ball is in this in some uh-huh. way? Okay. Yep. And Crash Monster Tom. <laughs> He's, oh my God. <laughs> I can't really speak to him as a person, but my appreciation for him as an actor has only grown. We've talked about this before. Like, he's good at running. He's very good at running. He's good at standing on Apple boxes next to his taller female co-stars. He's really short. All right. So we need to get to 1996. Oh, I'm so down. Let's go to the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) What music was a thing in 1996? Were we doing No Doubt then? I feel like we were doing No Doubt. Scott was like 94 to like 97, maybe. We're all skanking all the time. Let's all skank into the future. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Buckle up and put your butterfly clips in. Let's go. All right. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Buckle up. Ready to go? Okay. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) All right. All right. Here we are. So, from IMDb, we always start with a summary. Summary for this movie is, When a sports agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former secretary. She was not his secretary. secretary. She wasn't. She didn't even work for him, and she was in accounting. She was Dorothy from accounting. And also, that was so tacked on to the end of that summary. It was like all of this detail. And then also Renee Zellweger, isn't it? (laughs) Which is like, I don't know, maybe like the whole point of the movie. And why is she his secretary? She's not his secretary. Just because she's a woman. That's bullshit. I think the bias of the person writing the summary shows through that a woman in an office is a secretary. I mean, she becomes his assistant, but I don't think secretary and assistant. Well, not really his his assistant because she's doing bookkeeping and like she's really doing She's doing everything. Stuff. She's like an office manager. Sure. She's the business and he's the face. Is pretty much. Or the voice. I guess because he goes and talks to people. So She does the so, money and accounts, both payable and receivable. <laughs> she did a 
a lot of shit. Yes, Which is did. a violation. You should not do that. Oh, is that not good accounting? That's bad. No, that's that's not good accounting. Hold on, hold on. Says the accountant. Go ahead. You should not be the person both taking in and sending out money. That's that's bad. <laughs> so why, why every business, bad? no matter how small or big, has to have two accountants minimum. Ideally, you would because I mean, if you, I guess if you're that small, you're just stealing from yourself, right? But you generally want a separation of duties. But that's a whole other, much more boring podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of you had seen this movie. Amanda, it's it's your confession, so I'll start over with you. What was your overall impression of Jerry Maguire? The person, terrible. The movie, pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I was at war with myself the whole time. Because as, as is well documented from our <laughs> Mission Impossible episode, I am not a Tom Cruise fan. He makes me mad to look at. <laughs> His face and voice, generally. I kind of actually go back and forth between thinking like, how can a human being be that hot? And <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's a douchebag. It, it's a very uncomfortable position for me, to, for me and my little brain to be in. He plays douchebag in this pretty well, but he also yeah. does a lot of range beyond that as well. That's the growth. Yeah, like, yes, he's not without nuance in this one, but he, oh, it, mm, a lot of the time of the movie is him being not super likable. Treating Renee Zellweger badly, casually committing some workplace me tooing. <laughs> well, let's start with the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to the bad stuff. <laughs> I have things to say too. Uh-huh. So I'm right there with you. So you, Missy, also had not seen Jerry Maguire. What was your overall impression? To be honest, I was bored for like the first mm-hmm. slightly more than half of the movie. Yep. Overall, the movie, I warmed up to it. I really came around to liking it and it did kind of get me in the feels in the end but I think that that mostly had to do with the fact that she was a single mom oh yeah so I can kind of relate to that (laughs) I am a divorced mother with children so we'll just leave it at that and so I I related to that like finding a partner that your kid likes who likes your kid is important and that part started to kind of hit me in the feels and then I kind of came around to the rest of the movie but as we'll go over later on in the show the negative aspects of that it had me bored for a a while but it was good overall i think i enjoyed watching it their relationship redeems the movie a little bit it is kind of boring and then when their relationship starts to develop it kind of happens in tandem with tom cruise's character also sort of developing becoming a little yes. deeper recognizing his own faults you mentioned the kid the child in this movie i thought the two child actors in this movie were both pretty good yes johnny lip Lipnicki is that Lipnicki. i was fully prepared to hate him like child actors are so I mean, it's real difficult to pull that Super off. Super hit or miss. Yeah. Like in uh, A League of Their Own that we watched, had a very bad child actor. Yes. A very uh, annoying, I hateable child him. actor, which I feel bad for saying a child is hateable because children are, hmm. you know, children. Uh, yeah. But this kid was so Well, they had cute. a lot of lines written from him, but the lines were basically things he would say on set anyway. Oh, that's good. Like the scene where uh, Tom Cruise is sitting on the couch and talking to him. And he's like, making he, him Tom laugh. Tom Cruise has a whole speech written out and the kid basically just keeps interrupting him and saying he doesn't want to talk about that. <laughs> Can we go to the zoo? I want to go to the zoo. Yeah, none of that is in the script. <laughs> it totally reminded me of my son when he was like, did you know the human head mm-hmm. weighs eight pounds? That childlike thirst for knowledge and delight in learning things and knowing things. I was noticing that the reactions that we were getting out of, out of Tom Cruise when he was in that scene with the kid, when they're like on the couch and he just seems so unexpectedly like delighted. Kind of natural almost. It looked more real than a lot of his acting right it's because he's basically being interrupted and going with the improv it seems like he finds him genuinely adorable. Yes. Especially when you've got like, quote unquote, precocious children that are like, I'm a smart little uh, prodigy or, or whatever. Like those types of children can be especially frustrating to watch. The portrayals of those types of children can be annoying on on screen. It can. I'm one for liking kids, but I honestly cannot stand precocious <laughs> kids, both in movies and in real life. I was an obnoxious little Hermione at that age, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to get good performances out of child actors yes i mean cameron crowe man yeah the other thing i really liked in this actually was the performances of not renee zellweger like she was fine but i actually really liked um the performance of the wife and the sister bonnie hunt i thought they were both excellent bonnie hunt is a great character actress by the wife do you mean the fiance and that's uh kelly preston you said wife did you mean fiance 
No, I meant wife. Whose wife? Which wife? Oh, Cuba Cooding Jr.'s she wife? She was good. I thought she was very Regina good King. in this. Yes. I love Regina King. But Kelly Preston, his fiance, was good too. I didn't like her very much. She was a little one note, yes. but she was good at it. She was very one note, but yeah, she, I just love when she walks by and she's like, <laughs> And her speech. I'm like, are you Jim Carrey? What are you doing? <laughs> her speech when she's <laughs> like, I don't hug babies. I don't get emotional. I, it's like, I'm a strong female character. When they first introduced yeah. her and they're having sex and it's clear that they're like making her out <laughs> to be a villain. I was like, please. <laughs> don't let this be a thing where it's like she's clearly evil because she likes sex and she is not afraid to say what she wants in bed yeah that no that didn't have anything <laughs> to do with it <laughs> i mean they kind of implied it yeah it's more about her general uh, attitude of i get what i want so you both seem to like the movie what about the movie in particular won you over despite your Tom Cruise opposition. I love Renee Zellweger. She's so, this is the youngest I've ever seen her, I think. And she was just this, her face was just so like cherubic with her like puffy lit, her little bee stung lips and her skin is so beautiful. That's the word I was thinking of too. (laughs) Cherubic. Her very 90s look. She had a very 90s look. Yeah. When she got cast in this movie, she went to go take money out of an ATM and she didn't have enough money in the ATM to withdraw the minimum amount. (laughs) She had been in stuff before this movie, but this is the thing that really popped her. Really popped her over the... And then Bridget Jones happened and then... Well, I'm assuming she got Bridget Jones because of this. But yeah, she she at least got to do another Bridget Jones movie, which was kind of, you know, okay. True. And then she did Chicago too, so... She had to gain weight for Bridget Jones 1 and then lose it for Chicago, I think, and then regain it for Bridget Jones 2. Because she had to like dance a ton and she was mm. Roxy Hart. But uh, I think it was that one. I may be wrong, but... Yes. You know, I'm just a movie authority on a podcast so don't listen to me the chemistry between her and her on-screen yes. son is is very, very convincing natural yeah like she's very like motherly and i it really broke my heart when she was like i am the oldest 26 year old that you yeah, know yeah i know it seems so young to me and i'm like girl i feel <laughs> you like <laughs> big mood i feel you like I, I was not that young when i had i was 27 when i had my son but it was yeah. still like it's hard it's real hard to try to manage life and I can't imagine doing it single. Now, we had some debate over here in this casa in whether casa? or not her husband passed away. She said he died. Or Yeah, that's what I thought too. Okay, I thought so, but she also kind of insinuated that the relationship was shitty anyway. Yeah, I think it was both. Bad people die too. Yeah, I think they had a bad relationship, but were staying together for the kid probably, and then he died. There's a good scene where they're in a restaurant on like their first date, basically, and they're, you know, telling their stories about their ex, and she's like, let's not tell our sad stories. I thought that was good. I liked that. Yeah, dating rules say don't do that, but, you know. People do that all the time. I was half concerned that her nanny was the dad for a minute, and I... (laughs) He was a weird. I thought her nanny had a crush on her. I wasn't sure. But when the first uh, scene that he was in, he was holding the kid and the sister was there. I was like, is is that the dad? Is that? Okay. I think he's like a <laughs> vaguely 90s homosexual character. Right. He's like the best friend. Yeah. Yeah. They don't go into him too much, but. Yeah. I don't know what we were supposed to think of. I thought he had like a weird like fixation with her, but then it manifested itself in trying to help Tom Cruise fuck her better. I feel like it was kind of like a protective sure. close friend. I didn't really feel a lot of romantic interest between the two of them. I was just thinking he was dad because all of a sudden this dude shows up that's not Tom Cruise. So. He's like the least well-defined right. character in this movie. Like all the characters are pretty strong. Like I know who they all are. You know, and what they want. He's an enigma. He's a character. He's just not one that we understand very well. Like, he's quirky. He's yeah. got some likability to him. But yeah, he's he's not, like, well explained. So you liked Renee Zelliger. You said Tom Cruise had a little more depth than you were expecting. What can I say about Tomathan Cruise? <laughs> Tomathan. He is expressive. He, like, is not afraid to go for it in certain right. scenes and embarrass himself and, yeah. and, like, be cartoony. As seen in real life. Right, <laughs> right. And especially the show me the money scene, which I remember, oh my God, it, it flashed me back to school where so many people would just shout at the top of their lungs. I think a lot of people know that line, but not the context of it. Yeah. Yeah, like, I knew it was from this, but I didn't know why. Yeah, I assumed he was demanding to get paid or something. Like, I didn't know. So I thought it was just, I remember just Cooper Gooding Jr. saying it, but then... Mm -hmm. 
I realized that that clip of Tom Cruise screaming into the phone is actually like a meme. Yeah. Like I've seen it as like a a clip before. So Mm -hmm. I don't know why I didn't associate that with that. Yeah, people have definitely taken it out of context to where he's demanding money, you know, like in that Mm -hmm. in that sense, he's not like when really he's it's a it's a begging. (laughs) Right. It's a moment of humiliation for him. Right. So he's a good actor sometimes i'm not going to say that he's a bad actor just because i have problems with who he is fundamentally but uh, it's a little hard for me to separate it out sometimes when i'm watching but yeah he's compelling to watch i mean there's a reason that he's had the career that he's had he's fun fun face fun job tom yeah and it was the 90s and he was pretty good looking so you know that doesn't hurt he's very good looking which is <laughs> especially when he is like at rest when his face is not moving and he's just sort of like doing a blue steel uh moment <laughs> and it's like you can just sort of pretend that he's just like normal yeah um. i don't know i maybe it's just an issue that i have with good looking men but i'm just like i don't trust that face <laughs> i know that yeah. face means jerk so well, that was what bonnie hunt was saying she's like he better not be good looking and then he shows up and it's tom cruise she's like it's just her, her face was like oh you gotta be fucking <laughs> kidding me <laughs> i loved her sister oh by the she way. was, I was fantastic like, in this she was great yep she knew she knew better than anybody else did what was what was up. I also was very impressed with Cuba Gooding Jr., who has not really had very many good roles after this. Yeah, ever. His, I think, Academy Award was well-deserved for this. He did really good. And that kind of segues into actually what I was going to talk about. I'm like, while we're still talking about the good parts, I loved the interplay between Rod and Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise's character. They helped each other come to terms with who they were and who they wanted to be, right? Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character needed the slap in the face that Tom Cruise finally gave him, that he was only thinking about the paycheck and not Mm -hmm. the game and the love of the game, right? right? Which also, I think, gave... Tom Cruise's character, the pause to reflect on, am I only thinking about the sale and the paycheck and not helping these people like my mission statement was supposed to be about, you know, the human interaction, the personal touch. I really think they both helped each other come around to being better people. I felt like he wrote that statement from kind of a position of like almost privilege that he had the money and power to afford to be more. And then he was forced to confront the reality of whether he really believed that or not. And you can even see that in like the next day walk of shame when he's getting out of the elevator. He was like, oh shit, that probably wasn't a good idea. You know, like you could tell he regretted it. Well, he thought he was in a safer position than he actually was. Exactly. Yeah. He thought that it was safe for him to do that. You know, and then when he realized what he'd written, he's like, that's kind of the antithesis to what I do and who we are. You know, like that's which path do I get to take now? Mm-hmm. When everyone was cheering, I was kind of like side-eyeing the TV and the dude was like, how long do you give him? And he's like, a week. I'm like, yeah, okay, then I, I pinned this one right. You know, I was like, mm. Yeah, that beginning, like it was still in the opening credits and it, I was starting to get real worried because I was like, this is not the kind of movie that I thought it was. <laughs> Cheesy <laughs> AF. This is the corniest cornball movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when they all stand up and clap for him, I was like, eh, please don't let this be like that. I also enjoyed, too, the movie kind of showed you how athletes are essentially commodities, right? Who are trading their oh, health. yes for money Mm -hmm. they mentioned very specifically i only have so many years to play so i need to make as much money as i can during that time it's like they're selling their bodies but this is okay right like i like that scene kind of in the beginning where the kid was like my dad has had four concussions who's gonna stop him yes he's like nobody can stop your dad he's superman he's like fuck you man like you need (laughs) to stop him Like, he's going to die. Yes. And that was before that conversation yes. was mainstream in That's sports. what surprised me, is yeah. it wouldn't be out of place in a football movie now, but I think it right. was yeah. not common at that time. They're, they're sort of playing Price is Right rules with their health with their concussions it's like how many concussions can you bid without going over yes absolutely at some point you can't come back yeah at some point it's just that's the end of the line so yeah that's that's depressing (laughs) (laughs) segue into the negative yeah i I thought it was good tugged your heartstrings i was supposed to i didn't find the beginning boring like you guys seem to all that haggling with like desperately trying to keep his clients i was like what is going on boring might not be the right word this one i actually feel like i would have benefited from knowing more about sports and about the industry Mm -hmm. there was i felt like some stuff was flying by that I wasn't quite at some point I turned on subtitles because even though it was in English and no one had an accent really I was like I, I know need you're to know. speaking English <laughs> they're speaking sports English and why do I we don't... keep picking sports movies what is going on with yeah. us yeah 
I, I feel like that's our weakness there. That's yeah. definitely my weakness. Yeah. And sports are a common language that men, who are the people who are in charge of what stories get told, use for metaphors yeah. for everything. So a lot of movies that are, you know, quote unquote, good movies are going to be sports movies in some way. Yeah. You can retell emotional growth stories through physically strenuous stories, right? As you get better in your sport, you grow as a person. As you sport better, you live better. Uh, yeah. If you get worse in your sport and you start deteriorating in your sport, you realize that you need to be a better person it's because a that's all you had. Yeah, it's it's well, they have inherent drama and conflict. Same thing with war movies, right? That you're forced sure. to confront yes. oh, yeah. what yeah, is yeah, really yeah. happening. Yeah. But it's it's more of a like personal performance thing. Yeah. I guess that could be with like war movies and stuff too, where you're mm-hmm. like your skills or whatever. But it, that's more of like a band of brothers kind of thing. And this yeah. feels like it's more of like a how well can I have control over my own self and right. Right. My own like body and skills as a metaphor. I feel like war movies are more like the world versus you and sports movies are more like self versus self, right? Yes. Man versus himself versus man versus man or man versus nature. Nature. I guess that's not war movies. Kind of. I mean, it's it's a bigger, more complex man versus society. Well, that's usually like man stuck in a hurricane is what they're talking about with nature, I think, usually. Man versus bullets? That's one of them, right? (laughs) That's the fourth (laughs) archetype of stories. (laughs) So some things that I think they could have done a little better. What did you think was the bad parts of the movie? I mean, too much sports in the sports movie, obviously. (laughs) Uh, I would have preferred maybe one mention of sports and then we get on with it. For a rom-com, there was a lot of sports. I'm just going to put that out there. Like typically men are not the direct audience for romantic comedies, romantic comedy dramas, rom-com drama. I had not pegged this as a rom-com. It has been called a rom-com. It's a rom-com-a-drama is what it is. It's it's almost marketed differently than it truly is, or even Mm -hmm. just like the first half promises you a different movie than you eventually get. When you see lists of like best sports movies, though, this is usually on there. Is that really? I I would not consider this a sports movie at all. In the same way that Titanic is a romantic comedy, but also is a pretty good action flick for a lot of it. Okay. Titanic is not a rom-com. Oh my God. (laughs) There's barely any com in it. Romantic drama, probably. It's a rom-drom, if anything. (laughs) Chick flick. Chick flick with explosions. Oh, come on. Maybe that's why they put sports in here, so that the dudes would come with us to see the movie? Huh? Huh? Maybe? They're like, I I don't want to see Tom Cruise. Ooh, but Tom Cruise is talking about sports ball. Let's go watch the movie, you know? I I mean, men men will watch Tom Cruise if he's running from explosions. He does running in this movie when he's running through the airport. I'm like, there it is. There he's running in the movie. He's doing the thing. (laughs) And he wears sunglasses too, right? Like that's another thing. Very risky business looking in a lot of ways. Finger guns and sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Creepy laugh. Yeah, he's doing, he he plays a real douchebag really well (laughs) for... (laughs) Getting back to me being bored. (laughs) Getting back to me. (laughs) (laughs) I should say, getting back to the idea of being bored with the beginning of the movie. I was watching it, and it's not my confession, but I feel like Amanda can agree with me on some of this, is that I didn't feel any genuine change when I thought that the movie was supposed to be showing him changing. I initially thought that the movie was starting out with him changing because that's what he was doing was writing that mission statement, right? Or booklet, I guess. And so I was waiting and waiting and waiting for the change, the character change. And all I saw was him grasping for straws, like out of desperation, especially after he got fired. He was still trying to like cling to that mission statement in a way that still benefited him, which right. I he, think was opposite of right. what he typed up. He wasn't doing any of that stuff to like to follow through on his philosophy no. of sports management. He was very talk and no action. Like he wanted to look good, but he wasn't necessarily going to follow along with that. I think there's like that false growth in there that you're talking about where like his situation yes. changes, but he doesn't change. He does change later in the movie, but not when he does. Yeah, only when he loses his wife, essentially. He loses everything when he finally hits rock bottom and realizes that all his original ideas and inspiring ideas are bullshit. You know, they're great ideas, but he's not doing anything with them. I thought that that false growth was the real growth. And so I was like, all right, this is kind of crap. My comment on my notes is, you know, so Jerry is every white dude ever. (laughs) 
<laughs> he thinks he's important, but he's not. But he gets an original brilliant idea, quote unquote, and it's still bullshit, you know, because he's not following yeah, through Yeah, because you have it. to actually do the work. And at first I thought that Dorothy was fairly two-dimensional and really idealistic. Yes. She idolizes him. Worshipping the ground that he was walking on. And I'm like, oh, this is so cliche and crap, right? I found it hard to believe that there were redeeming qualities during this, what I thought was actual growth that weren't brought out just by sheer desperation and him trying to save face, basically. I think she has a really good scene. They're basically their breakup scene, I think is very good. I think it shows a lot of depth for her where she's like yes. saying, Oh my God, that breakup scene was, was like, the writing is so good. Yeah. feels very authentic, right? I have a man who loves my kid and who sure does like me a lot. And I can't live like it that. It was so real. His arc is a little inconsistent, which I guess is normal. Like people in real life don't just like have a clear velocity of becoming sure, a better person. Sure. But it feels like a rom-com, but it's not paced like a rom-com. It's paced like a indie drama or whatever, like a Cameron Crowe movie. It's paced like a lifelong story. Yeah. Like you're following people through their lives. Yes. And it's weird. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think the tone was not really set well because right. it's not a comedy all the time but it's not dramatic all the time because it is a romance like it's mm, it's weird and that's okay for things to be both alternately comedic and dramatic or a little bit of both but it's just it's the way that sure. it is if it's a rom-com if it's following through on expectations for the genre it's not going to be like I don't want to reduce it to they get their happy ending and then he goes back on it but it does kind of subvert that a little bit you jump forward in time faster than you expect to and you yeah. progress in the relationship faster than you expect to like you can tell that it has not been very much time because she's still pregnant (laughs) and they're married like (laughs) yeah yeah it feels like their life went at a couple of years pace but everyone else around them was like two months it happens super quick like suddenly she's fully 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 in love with him yelling it at the top of her lungs when he's in the other room which come on (laughs) that felt like out of a rom-com definitely that felt like out of a bad (laughs) rom-com Yeah. Like, not even a, a well-written one. Now, granted, this was 20-some-odd years True. ago, so maybe it wasn't as cliche back then, but it's so cliche yeah. I now. think we're coming up on a lot of things I think contribute to what I think is the biggest flaw of the movie. Like, we've mentioned that it seems like it's a lot of different genres. It's got a lot of story arcs that it's following mm-hmm. through, and it's kind of inconsistent. Yeah, it's got a lot of subplots that they're trying to pack into one movie. And I think that that contributes to the movie being about 20 minutes too long. And I don't mm-hmm. know Oh, yeah, where, it's over two hours. And I don't know what 20 minutes I would cut or what storyline needs to go, but it definitely feels like it's several movies together. The beginning bullshit, any bullshit with his fiance. Like, I feel if he was single, it's still <laughs> I agree. the same movie. I kind of like Kelly Preston. I don't feel like she contributed anything to his growth. She didn't contribute anything to the movie. Well, dumping her was part of his growth. I think she's supposed to be part of like the hollow, but seemingly successful from the outside life. That's true, because it does go on to say that he can't be alone. So she's basically his nightlight. You know, <laughs> she's just there to keep him from being alone. Or his fleshlight. I think the thing that Renee Zellweger says to him, wait, was it, you love my kid and you like me? Right, yeah, it's, I have a man who loves my kid and who sure does like me a whole lot. I can't live like that. I think he was in a very similar situation where she's smart, she's ambitious, she's successful, she's attractive. She's all these things I should want. There's no love there, but I'm willing to settle for that. And Renee Zellweger yeah. is not. They're great business partners is really what I see him and his fiance as because he's a good face for her. She's a good mm-hmm. face for him. And like, she's like, we're salespeople. We yeah. sell things. That's what we do. Which again, I, I felt a little uncomfortable with demonizing her as, I mean, she's obviously a way over the top bitchy woman stereotype. Right. It was yeah. a little one note. Like it was a little bit, uh, especially for a male director and I'm assuming a male writer. Did Cameron Crowe write this too? He wrote this. It took him like three and a half yeah. years to write this. At any time I see a male created work with a woman like that in it, the quote unquote ambitious woman, just a, a really one dimensional, like True. I remember I saw Midnight in Paris I think which is the one it's is that the time travel one uh yes yeah but it's Woody Allen I liked that movie surprisingly but I hated the girlfriend character was it made me furious knowing who made it this is before right I knew everything that we all now know about Woody Allen I was so frustrated by her character because she was just a I say this a lot cardboard cutout like a a girl shaped meanness dispenser and it stands out especially when you're male 
characters are very well yes. defined. So when you have a female character that oh, yeah. isn't as well defined, it really stands out. Well, it's like you had like Renee Zellweger was the manic pixie dream girl and then his fiance was the anti-manic right. pixie dream girl, right? <laughs> <laughs> I felt though Cuba Gooding Jr.'s wife in this, I think she was excellent. Yes, she was good. She was oh, very good. She was so good. She was a better version of Kelly Preston's character, yes. I think. Like she was also no nonsense. Ambitious. Yes, knows what she's talking about. Oh, not afraid so to good. say yeah. it. But it was a more compassionate version and a more human person. She was strong. Yeah, she doesn't express her strength by just being mean to the man who is the main character. You know, she loves Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character and wants him to succeed, but she doesn't love him because he yes. succeeds. Yeah, and I feel like this is also a good movie for relationships. I think it, it portrayed relationships really well. And I'm really glad that it was Cuba Gooding Jr.'s relationship and Regina King's characters, the wife's. I don't want to keep calling her the wife. That seems really demeaning. <laughs> her character's relationship that was the good one. Like, I'm really glad that they were the strong couple. The model. The model couple. Yeah, thank you. Because they both held each other up and they both supported each other. She wasn't his trophy wife and she didn't just go to bat for him because he was too good to do it for himself. They were there in it for each other as partners yeah. in a relationship. They clearly leaned on each other in equal measure as opposed to a lot of relationships where you see the wife. Especially athletes. Yeah, is the trophy wife where she's just there to look pretty. Or the Lady Macbeth of the career. Yeah, yeah. yeah or they settle down but then they cheat or they like right, right. just bounce between women or that it's like a strong long-term thing. In contrast to Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger's relationship where she was clearly all for him and he he was not all for her. There was an unequal yeah. distribution of emotion in that relationship. Until the end. Until the end, yes. Spoiler yeah. alert. I feel like <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. and Regina King's relationship was like solid. That's the kind of relationship that you want to see because... Yeah, it's hashtag goals. Yeah, it's honest. He wasn't like strong to her face and then be like behind her back. Like, yeah, I tapped that. He wasn't sleazy about it. He was very real in his relationship and very much respected his wife. And it was... Yeah. Really, really good to see. So there were definitely some problematic areas that I noticed, and I'm sure you guys noticed as well. Into the problematic zone we go. Yeah, welcome. It's our favorite place. We spend so much time here, you'd think it was. Well, I mean, I guess first and foremost, he does a Me Too on her, which it works out. I guess. But he's her boss. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was expecting him to, like, I was thinking, like, when did he confess that he, I got it, I got it. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. When I say a me too, it's me being Sexual probably harassment. more flippant than it, it should be treated with. I mean, he does stop himself. He calls it Clarence Thomas, right, is the cultural reference. Yes. I was like, this reads so differently in 2019 it than it would have back then. But he does stop and recognize that and she says, well, I'm not going to sue you. So she kind of waves him in. You should feel like Clarence Thomas. Thomas. It's not as egregious, but like, yeah. There's workplace harassment going on. Yes. You kissed her and grabbed her boobs. Boob. Singular. Yeah. <laughs> and even if they weren't co-workers, she clearly was way more into you than you are. You are taking advantage yeah, of Yeah, there's a power dynamic there that sucks. Yeah. That's why you're not supposed to, especially when you, you are a direct decider of her her employment status. Job. Yeah. Like of her entire mm. livelihood. You control it and you're putting yourself and putting her in a really tough position. Even if she is receptive to it, which clearly she turns out to be, but he didn't know that. Yeah. I guess he was getting vibes or whatever. He could tell that she she liked him. I think that he got that much, but I also think, like he was telling Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, yeah, I rented the, whatever he calls it, I don't even remember. I rented the pussy, basically. Oh yeah, it's shoplifted. Shoplifted, that's what it was, shoplifted. The pooty? I was like, pooty? what on <laughs> earth is this? Bullshit dialogue. Just some 90s slang. Yeah. Yeah, he fully admits to like, I took advantage of her. That just means I had sex with her, right? Is what he means? It means you had sex with her without an emotional commitment. Without telling her the truth. Because right? they had just gotten done talking about where she loved him, but he didn't tell her that he didn't feel the same. It's yeah. basically taking advantage of her emotions and her feelings. Okay, so the, the lesson there we're supposed to glean is that it turns out he does love her. It's just he was incapable of love until all of a sudden he wasn't. I think that he was incapable of love because his primary motivation is not to be 
alone. He's very selfish. Right. And I feel like that kind of hampered him. It was like, yeah, I'll love you, but me first. And I don't think that he'd actually been probably in any healthy relationships. And I think having Cuba Gooding Jr. as his client showed him what a healthy relationship was. And he has two really interesting things where he expresses why he cares about her. And the first one is when he's talking to Cuba Gooding Jr. And he basically says, she's loyal. She stuck with me when no one else did. But I mean, that's not really love. Mm -hmm. Sounds like he's describing a pet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then he has where you really summarize the whole, like, you complete me. I just had the greatest day of my business and it wasn't real because you weren't there to tell about it. That's when he has genuine love and affection for her. Yeah, I don't think he realized what he had until it wasn't there. I guess. I wasn't super convinced even at the end that he wasn't just... I feel you. Because a lot of times guys don't take rejection well and they only want what they can't have, which that's a stereotype. I mean, it's not just guys. It's human nature in a lot of cases too. Yeah. But I got a little bit of that from him that all of a sudden the power dynamic had shifted and so he was like, all of a sudden I'm back on board. Mm -hmm. I also felt like the movie was inconsistent in the way it dealt with race because like you have very positive relationship examples, right? But you also have this weird, I don't know, like almost cartoonish depiction in like the beginning of the movie and there's like all kinds of racial undertones that are going on in the movie. Yeah, he was very stereotypical in the beginning. Now I'm forgetting. What undertones are we talking about? Well, like at the beginning when he's talking to Jerry and he's like, my house is falling apart. He's like, show me the money. They're putting him in like a boisterous black dude oh, role. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very big. And his wife came out of the pen very boisterous and loud, which is typically like a negative stereotype for black people, right? right. For people of color. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. That their depiction was kind of fitting in the negative depiction of African-American athletes. Yeah. I felt like they were doing that a little bit. And then the movie seemed to sort of course correct with it. So I don't know what was going on. Maybe they meant it on purpose. Like everybody looks stereotypical on the surface until you get deeper into their psyche. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know know if I'd give it that much credit. (laughs) But you certainly look at Tom Cruise the same way. You know, he's this super money hungry douchebag white guy executive. And then you get deeper and you realize that he's got actual emotions and fears and insecurities and maybe love for her? I don't know. (laughs) Turns out he's a slightly less money-hungry douchebag than we (laughs) all originally thought. Yeah, any other problematic stuff? Other than, like, the gender role issues that pretty much any rom-com slash drama movie seems to have. That she just has this slavish devotion to him start to finish. Yeah, yeah. And this, like, desire for the man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was this kind of also, what could be a problematic theme is you need a man to complete you and complete your life. Yeah. Well, but it was reversed at the end, too, so it's it's more like being single is being incomplete. Right. Yeah, you need love or you're not a whole person. Right. There's a scene, like, in the beginning where they drop people off at the airport and they see like the perfect couple in the airport and they kind of like look at each other. Those are actually the stand-ins for Tom Cruise or Nate Zellweger and the little kid, uh, which I thought was aw. interesting. And interesting tidbit, this movie almost went to Tom Hanks, not Tom Cruise. That would have been so different. That's like casting your dad as... <laughs> I mean, Tom Hanks at the time, that's what we were talking about. He's still super young, but like not the same kind of person. (laughs) Yeah, no, you wouldn't open the door. The joke where they're like, if he's handsome, I'm going to be mad. And then they open the door and it's Tom Cruise. And that's the punchline would not have worked with Tom Hanks. (laughs) Because Tom Hanks is adorable, but he's not like, you can't make him into an asshole. He doesn't have the same like chiseled features. He's just got such strong dad energy. (laughs) Even when he was young, he's a dad. He can be sexy in his own way, but he's not just gonna like smack you in the face with how good looking he is i don't even know if i could put those two in the same sentence tom hanks (laughs) really no he's been a romantic lead in a lot of other movies rita wilson would disagree with you yes he's been a male lead in a lot of (laughs) rom-coms but could you imagine like in seattle sweaty and topless no no In Castaway, we've seen him sweaty and topless. And he wasn't sexy. He was very different situation. Very different relationship with Wilson. I mean, he's been presented as desirable and like, especially in his earlier days when he was super young. Yeah, that's a note from me, dog. We all have our types. I'm not saying Tom Hanks is mine, but I'm just saying. I love Tom Hanks, but I do not, I would not want to see him cast as that. (laughs) No, I wouldn't either. I am not arguing that Tom Hanks should have been Jerry Maguire. Cameron Crowe didn't think that Tom Cruise would want to do this movie because Jerry Maguire has kind of this arc where he's on the downturn and they're like all of his other roles are like Top Gun and Days of Thunder and 
finger guns and sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. And he does that in this movie. But Tom Cruise was actually like, I'm really glad to get to do this movie because I get to have some depth and range in my acting. Right. So I thought that was interesting, too, that he wanted the role because it would challenge him. Yeah. Sure. Which I think a lot of actors get sick of being typecast. He's done some indie shit. He's done some, like, Vanilla Skies. Was it Magnolia he was in? No, he was in Vanilla, Vanilla Sky. Edge of Tomorrow was actually really good. That was, like, the last Tom good. Cruise movie I saw that I liked. I liked all his Mission Impossible movies. I'm shocked we've gotten through this whole podcast without talking about what a shitty person Tom Cruise is. Good for us. <laughs> we stayed on Topic. We've had other Tom Cruise movies where we've tread that ground. <laughs> yeah, I guess. we could. T- I mean, that fits in the problematic zone, I guess. He basically acts as the legitimizing face of a cult. Yeah, yeah. Scientology enslaves people. And I know there are other celebrities that are Scientologists, but they haven't done what Tom Cruise has done to publicize Scientology and to, like, give it a... A friendly face. Yeah. I feel like the three of us are like 0, 5, and 10 on the disliking Tom Cruise scale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, I think Tom Cruise is a deeply weird person, but I think every actor is a deeply weird person. Yeah, see, I think he's he's more than just weird. I think he has what would be a very damaging fact to his career, he believes, so he has to overcompensate for it with, like, hyper-masculinity. Like, kind of like, I always have to be riding the motorcycle with a leather jacket. I don't want to defend Scientology because I think it's terrible but what you're describing is how people who aren't part of any religion think about any religion no scientology is different i'm gonna disagree personally it's bad but i think that you could make the same argument about like christianity or islam christianity is much more diverse than scientology scientology is basically like one church Christianity, I mean, you could argue maybe about Catholics. Well, I think we could go into a very long conversation about this. Sure. <laughs> a lot of criticisms of Christianity, criticisms of Catholicism, you go into historical stuff. Scientology is a modern day bad actor. So I have a confession to make. I <laughs> actually almost got into Scientology in college. Really? I did. They used to have Scientologists come to our college and set up a yeah. table to do their personality diagnostic or whatever. I think on YouTube, you're like, Close to UT campus, where I went to school and co- where I was college, we had yeah. a Church of Scientology. Yeah, and so they would come here and they would do your like personality workup. Yeah, and so they were like the e meter. Come down to the Ted Chapel, Ted Sanctuary. I don't know what they call it, but come down to the building where we have church and we can discuss <laughs> it. And I'm like, sure, why not? So yeah, like I went down and they were like, Dianetics can help you with this, and Dianetics can help you with that. And if you read this book and follow this literature, and did you know that you have evil alien creatures in your body? And I'm like, whoa. Okay. Oh, and, and did you know that therapy in the entire mental health establishment is evil and wrong and you shouldn't ever do it? Yeah, I was I was impressionable at like 19 and I was decidedly against Scientology. But I did have a quick brush with it when I was younger, so. <laughs> we were all young and naive at one point. I think you can say like as a Christian that like another criticism could be that a Christian would hand you a Bible and say all your answers are in here and you have an e- there's an evil force inside you as well. So it's not that different. Yeah, and I agree with that. So, so I'm like, mm, that might be another podcast. I don't know. I think we're getting off into a topic that is both uh, extremely touchy and <laughs> not relevant. Yeah. Tom Cruise is a weirdo, but I'm not willing to write him off for just being a scientist. I am. <laughs> hey, you're welcome to it, man. So, Amanda, <laughs> are you glad you watched this movie or was this two hours that you think you'll, well, two two hours and 18 minutes that you're never going to get back? Yeah, I'd say it's about an hour and 45 minutes that I enjoyed and the rest of it I'll never get back. <laughs> And I watched it. There's a couple of streaming services where this is free with ads. So Mm. I didn't pay any money to Tom Cruise. So, Missy, you hadn't seen this either. What about you? Was this two hours and 18 minutes you're never going to get back? Or are you glad you watched it? I can take it or leave it. I'm not going to say that it was wasted time because I feel like it did kind of have a couple of good themes and it did kind of hit me emotionally in my emotional kidneys. But (laughs) would I sit down and watch it again? No, it wouldn't be like a, oh my God, you have to see Jerry Maguire kind of it's like yeah i've seen that and it's kind of in the mediocre pile i would say so what about you did it hold up ryan was it like you remembered well i remembered having a very blah impression of the movie like thinking it wasn't that great one way or the other you were younger like when it came out yeah i was young i've only seen it like twice like i watched it and then i remembered people running around shouting like show me the money like all the time (laughs) i'm like did you see the movie you're like missing the opposite of the point of that thing so i thought people had like a a really weird reaction to it this time there were things i liked about the movie more than the other times i watched it 
it, but I don't feel it was the things that most people like about it. It's the performances of the child actors who are adorable and I think got a lot of positive praise when the movie came out. But I really feel like the the sister and the wife turned in excellent performances in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I liked Tom Cruise's range that he showed in this movie. Would I watch it again? Probably not. Yeah. I think three times <laughs> yeah. is more oh, than enough. Oh, three times. Okay. It. Well, because I saw it once when it came out. I'm sure I watched it with somebody else at some point. Right. Although I don't really remember it because it's not super memorable to me. <laughs> and then a third time with a critical eye. It is a very vapid movie. I will give it that. I actually forgot that there was the third... I don't know what it was. I, I could just remember the two catchphrases going in. It was, show me the money, and you, uh, had, me uh, you hello. had me a hello. Yeah, those were the two that I associated with. And then in the elevator, when she said you completed me, I was like, oh my God. God, how can there be three? How can there be a third? It's too many. Which is funny because like the, uh, you had me at hello. Renee Zelliger thought that was a mistake because he doesn't say hello. Oh, (laughs) that's funny. And she also was like, this doesn't make sense. But once they got it down, the performance, they had to actually thumb it like more than once because- She didn't quite know how to deliver it? No, not at all. But he said hello to her at the beginning- so maybe... Maybe it means hello. At, yeah, the very first hello. The minute I saw you, you had me. Yeah. But yeah. people don't say hello very often. You usually say hi or hey or what's up or yo. You had me at show me the money. <laughs> you had me at what's up. <laughs> but the reason they had to reshoot that scene was people kept crying during the scene. Like the women that were in like the divorce group. Yeah, I bet. I kept bet. like losing their shit in the movie like more than the characters should have. Yeah. So they had to like stop. So it was like incredibly effective. Control yourselves. Yeah. It was it was good. It was good. <laughs> and sort of leaping one foot back into the problematic zone, I felt like the divorced women's group was very dated. <sighs> Super stereotypical. Yeah. Yes. It's okay, Ryan. We never fully leave the problematic zone. We're always, <laughs> We're always there. At least one foot in there. I right? love how she was leaving the discussion and she was like, but I still love the enemy. And I'm like, oh, stuff it. Like, <laughs> Come on. It's such a 90s take on girl power. Men are not the enemy. Men are just garbage. You can't have garbage as an enemy. Like, not worth it. (laughs) An enemy has to have value to be your enemy, right? Wow. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, drive us home, Amanda. So that was Jerry Maguire. If you like what you heard, go give us a review on Apple Podcasts, please. We're online. Get this. We have a website. Whoa. It is the future. Popcultureconfessions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at at PCCCast or Instagram at the same handle, but we don't really do much on Instagram. Do more on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. If you just search Pop Culture Confessions, we're more active there. The people actually comment and we respond and it's fun. And if you tweet or review us, you can get a shout out on air. If you want to email us any of your confessions or comments or feedback or anything, send it to popcultureconfessions at gmail.com. Many thanks to wax logic for the use of their sweet groove gather in guys i have a confession i'm as close to my mic as i can get (laughs) this is now an asmr podcast hi you're listening to delilah now it's a like radio (laughs) call in it's like love line your soft rock hits all night long (laughs) you can give us a call at 999 l-o-v-e that's not a full phone number. <laughs> Don't do that. It'll it'll be bad. So I was thinking about movies that have kind of an emotional impact on people that just kind of rip people's hearts out. And there's a movie that I've heard mentioned many, many times as a movie that does this, and I have not seen oh it. Oh, God. I don't know if I can do another emotional movie. <laughs> I've avoided it because I felt like it was firmly in the genre of chick flicks. Oh, it's a chick flick. I'm always in support of watching chick flicks, of your chick flick rehabilitation. <laughs> I was too young when this movie came out, I felt, to have seen it. Like, it was definitely not aimed. Oh, so it's an old chick flick. Older. Sorry, not not to imply that anything that was when you were it's young. It's fine, old. he's old. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, for in my head, I think of chick flick as like 90s, 2000s, and it's older than that. Yeah, like when this movie came out, I was still pretty firmly interested in cartoons. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was definitely not aimed at me. And it's like one of three or four most chick flicky of chick flicks that are extremely emotional and impactful. Okay, I'm curious now. But as I've grown, I realize that that is kind of like a false label that people put on movies. I mean, certainly Hollywood does make movies that are just supposed to be that, but a lot of movies that just have female characters in it get labeled that way. So I don't know which one this is going to be. And when I look at everyone who's in the movie, they're all really good. So it's an ensemble? Yes. Okay, Ocean's Eleven is not a chick flick. (laughs) (laughs) Just putting that out there. I can think of a few who sort of meet this qualification. So I 
have never seen. Tune in next episode to hear Ryan's pop culture confession. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. Maybe. I think so.